been a great privilege for me to be with you on your campus for these few days. I've learned a lot. I've had a great time interacting with some of you. I'm grateful for the chance to come and hear what is on your heart and uh, listen to your thoughts and interact with you in that way, so thank you. It's also been a great privilege to worship with you, and I would just like to extend my personal thanks to the worship team for leading us in such a powerful way. I want to begin by reading a parable to you from Matthew 18. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, it says this. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and children and all of his possessions, and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a, a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay me what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Let's pray together. God in heaven, I give you thanks for this great day. I give you thanks for the great gift of forgiveness that has so freely been given to us. And so now, dear God, as we ponder what it means to be a forgiving people, I pray that your spirit would pervade all that we do that we might hear and obey. In Christ's name, amen. Last Christmas, we had a tremendous tragedy take place in our church. I live in a suburban community of Chicago that's very quiet and very safe. But on this cold Friday afternoon before Christmas, one of our church members was brutally murdered in her house. It was unbelievable. How could someone have been murdered in Northbrook? And how could someone from our church in Northbrook have been the victim? In a recent conversation with the woman's daughter, she expressed this sentiment. I don't know what will be worse. If they catch the killer, then I shall have to face him or her and deal with all that means. If they don't catch the killer, then I shall have to live with that for the rest of my life. It seemed to me to be a difficult spot to find herself in. To even begin to discuss forgiving the killer seemed like such a remote point, 
given everything that she and her husband were having to contend with. The summer before my senior year in high school, my brother tried to commit suicide. It caused immeasurable pain and sadness in the life of my family. What followed that incident were more attempts, drug and alcohol use and abuse, and more pain and sadness for my family. I hated him. I hated my brother for the havoc that he was wreaking on my family's life. And I really hated him for the pain that I knew he was inflicting on my parents. And I responded to it in various ways. I responded to it with total hatred and meanness of spirit. I responded to it with total hatred and complete ambivalence toward him, which was pretty painful because then he thought I didn't care at all. And then there were times as a Christian that I felt compelled to reach out to him and care for him and respond with compassion. The problem was that when I tried to respond with compassion, he would screw up again and he would hurt me badly all over again. And even though options one and two weren't exactly kind, loving options, they protected me from the pain of having a relationship with him. Occasionally, the issue of forgiveness would emerge, and my response was, no way. Forgiveness will never be part of this equation. He has screwed up too much. You see, I had come to love my hatred for him. It was protective. It created distance. And I thought that my brother was such a jerk that he didn't deserve it anyway. And after many noble attempts at compassion, I grew weary of getting hurt and wrote off any option or hope for reconciliation. And I decided that I'd really show him. I'd really punish him for all he's done. But as much as I loved my hatred, it tore at me constantly. It made me an angry person. It made me a mean person. At this time in my life, I'm married to an imperfect person. And incidentally, he's married to an imperfect person too. And so consequently, if we desire to nurture our union and live harmoniously with one another, it requires that we forgive one another. It also follows that we must ask for forgiveness regularly. So important is forgiveness in our lives. One of the texts we had read at our wedding was this from Colossians 3. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against the other, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. So far, most of our forgiving has been for fairly easy, forgivable offenses, and I'm grateful. But even so, it has probably been in my marriage where I see the greatest need for forgiveness to become part of the everyday fabric of our lives. I've given you three very different scenarios, and while you may not find yourself directly linked to any of those one particular scenarios, I'm quite sure that every single person gathered here today has had occasion to forgive someone. And perhaps it's been easy, and perhaps it's been difficult, and perhaps there are situations in your life right now where the pain is deep, the wound is so fresh, that forgiveness is not an option. Let me say I understand that. What we are going to try to do this morning is move ourselves a little closer to the incredible grace of God so that as our lives are touched with grace, we will eventually be able to extend that grace to another. But it only happens by God's grace and not any other thing. 
You see, forgiveness is listed 28 times in my teeny little concordance in the back of my Bible. One of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministry on earth was how he forgave people. In fact, many marveled and many were skeptical because of his claim to be able to forgive sins. And obviously, in his death and resurrection, the gift of forgiveness is freely given. In so many ways, it lies at the very center of who we are as Christians. We know that Christ forgave, and we know that in no uncertain terms, he has asked us to forgive. Very few people dispute that aspect of Christianity. But oh, how tough this can be to implement in our lives. Why is forgiveness so hard for us to do sometimes? Because when we have to forgive someone, it usually means that they have hurt us. We are often angry with the person. We've been disappointed. We've been let down. And we often desire to seek revenge. We also somehow have developed the notion that if we somehow forgive something, then I am somehow saying that what they did to me was okay. And then maybe they will do it again. And I cannot tolerate that. I cannot risk that. I want to say this morning that forgiving someone is not the same as saying what they did is okay. It also doesn't mean that you have to forget the offense. It also doesn't mean that you have to re-enter a relationship with that person. It also doesn't mean that there aren't real consequences to the actions that will live themselves out. You see, forgiveness is not the absence of punishment. It's an expression of grace. As you forgive someone, it means that you no longer harbor the depth of pain or bitterness that was brought upon you by their actions. It means that you have allowed the grace of God to touch you, and hence you are extending that grace to them. You know that you are beginning to forgive when you stop wishing peril on that person's life and genuinely begin to hope for good things for them, even if there are costly consequences that remain in place. And as we forgive people, amazingly enough, the wounds that they inflicted upon you and me are healed. I know that that sounds like a paradox, and yet that's part of the wonder and the grace of forgiveness. It's good for both people involved in the offense. But even so, how is it that we can go about forgiving someone when we have been devastated so deeply by the pain they inflicted? First of all, I want to say slowly. Forgiveness can and almost always does take time. We are certainly called to forgive our transgressions, but Scripture never tells us that we have to do it within a certain time frame. God understands our human need and the human dilemma that comes along with being hurt. He gets it when the pain is so deep, we are often incapable of overriding that hurt with the right thing to do. The thing we have to be careful about, though, in the meantime, is that we don't nurture the hatred or the anger or the bitterness. In nurturing these feelings, it only leads to a longer road back to forgiveness. So forgiveness takes time. Sometimes it happens very slowly. Secondly, forgiveness can take place if we have a little understanding. If we can learn some things about why someone inflicted the pain on us, it can help us to gain a perspective that helps us to forgive it a little easier. Again, let me be absolutely clear. Coming to an understanding of why someone has done something doesn't mean coming to a place of acceptance of their behavior or even excusing their behavior. Some behaviors are totally wrong no matter what causes them. But it can help you gain a forgiving perspective if you know a little of where they've come from. 
and perhaps what would motivate them to act in such hurtful ways. We also forgive in confusion. Sometimes we will never be able to sort out the why of the situation. Even if those folks at my church somehow get the full details of the murder, they will never fully understand why someone would attack their mother on a Friday afternoon before Christmas. If the grace to forgive the killer invades their life, they will do so with a great deal of confusion surrounding the event. We also can forgive with anger left over. Sometimes we believe that when we've truly forgiven someone, then all of the anger should be gone. But this isn't necessarily true. You can forgive the situation, but the facts of the situation may never change. You may remain angry that you were fired or that you come from a broken home or that you were left out or you were kicked out of a friendship. There is a difference between malice and anger. Can you discern the difference for yourself when you are in the situation? Can you express your anger without letting it seethe through you and disintegrate your entire being? Finally, sometimes we have to forgive a little bit at a time. This gets at the topic of time again. That sometimes it really takes time to heal the hurt and to be able to forgive and move on. And sometimes in the moving on, you will lose the relationship But you see, some relationships are unsafe and unhealthy, and we may need to distance ourselves from them. You can forgive someone and not restore the relationship. You see, when we forgive, it doesn't make things tidy. Life is messy, and forgiveness extends grace and allows healing in our lives. But it doesn't automatically make everything great. And so it goes with my brother. For years, you see, forgiveness wasn't an option because I was tired of reaching out to him in compassion and then having him hurt me all over again with his actions or with comments he would make. I confused forgiving him for the hurt with pursuing a relationship. So for years, I seethed with anger and malice. Eventually, I came to realize that wishing him ill wasn't hurting him all that much. He was making his choices. Some were okay. Others were horrible. And what I thought didn't matter at all to him. But you see, it was killing me. The anger was so intense at times that I didn't want to see him. I can't really recount how the notion of forgiveness finally became real to me, except to say that eventually I realized that forgiving him was different than having a relationship with him, was different than validating his lifestyle. And when I was able to look at his life from a distance and see how absolutely ravaged it was, I had genuine compassion, but no longer because I couldn't, I had genuine compassion, but was also able to accept that a close relationship with him probably wasn't possible. But it no longer wasn't possible because I wouldn't forgive him. But it wasn't possible because of his lifestyle, because of the choices he was making. It was no longer entirely up to me to work things out in the sibling relationship. I was free to forgive the pain of my family life, while at the same time understand that a close relationship wasn't going to happen. And that does make me sad. And I grieve the loss of having a healthy sibling relationship with my brother. But I no longer carry the guilt and the anger and resentment of the years of hating him. Now I have the freedom to genuinely wish him well, while still accepting the limits of our relationship. And see, that's why we really need to be a forgiving people. Because our inability to forgive, it just eats us up inside. 
It feels good for a while, especially when the love affair with the hurt and the anger is really hot. But over time, hurt and malice and anger take their toll on us. And pretty soon you aren't causing pain for the one who hurts you, but you begin hurting others and yourself. And you are missing out on the freedom that comes when you allow God's grace to wallow up inside and change you. Lewis Smead says this about forgiveness. We reverse the flow of seemingly irreversible history, of our own history, of our own private painful history. We reverse the flow of pain that began in the past when someone hurt us, a flow that filters into our present to wound our memory and poison our future. We heal ourselves. You see, in many ways, forgiveness helps us take back that which was lost in the transgression because we are no longer allowing the hurt from that situation to control and determine our life. A word about the parable that we read earlier. Sometimes when I read this parable, I'm totally disgusted. The meaning is so clearly portrayed to us, and we wonder what on earth could have been going through that slave's mind when he turned around and demanded payment for such a paltry sum when he had been forgiven so much. We wonder, and yet should we? Do we not more often than not respond to our own forgiveness in the manner of the servant and not that of the king? You see, I believe what happened was that the servant had no understanding of the grace that had been extended to him. I think he just thought he pulled a fast one on the king. But it never really dawned on him that the king had actually willfully and with full understanding forgiven his huge debt. The servant, on the other hand, knew nothing of true grace and hence had to keep on keeping score because he never understood it was grace that forgave the debt. This parable isn't about money. It's about understanding the deep need for grace and then cultivating a desire and ability to pass it along. Have you ever really been touched by the grace of God? Do you understand what it means to be a forgiven child of God? If not, then my hunch is that you live with a great deal of anger and bitterness that you have no reason and no real ability to forgive another person. And it probably hurts you very, very much. I want to urge you to learn to bury your hurts in the grace of Christ instead of hanging on to them, allowing them to tear away at you. Our response to our own painful situations is so often they don't deserve it. That's probably true. They probably don't deserve it. But do any of us deserve it? We have to keep in mind that Christ foresaw all of this. It says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. It doesn't say that once we got our act together, Christ died. It doesn't say that once we got our life straightened out, then Christ died. It doesn't say that when things were good, Christ died. It says that while we were all yet sinners, you see, God knew. God knew ahead of time that it would be impossible for us to figure this out. And so he took care of it long before we would ever be in the midst of needing forgiveness or needing to forgive. Robert Farrar Capon is a theologian who has written much about the parables. He gives me this insight on the topic of forgiveness and grace and who we all are before God. He says this, There are only forgiven sinners in heaven. And there are only forgiven sinners in hell. You see, Christ died to forgive all of the sin in the world. The difference between the forgiven sinners in heaven and the forgiven sinners in hell 
is that the ones in hell rejected and blocked the gift of grace extended to them, while the forgiven sinners in heaven accepted the grace and passed it along to others. Forgiven sinners. That is who we all are. Do we want to be a people marked by malice and hatred and spite and revenge? Or do we want to be a people who overflow with grace and generosity of spirit? And for each one of us here today, do you want to reject and block the gift of God's grace that's already been given, that was given while you were yet a sinner? Or do you want to accept it and pass it along? You see... Forgiving someone doesn't mean that you are saying it's okay that they did what they did to you. That is not what forgiveness is. It's saying that because of God's grace poured out for you, you are willing then to pour it out for another. And it's very hard. And it takes a tremendous amount of time. And sometimes it takes a long time. And sometimes the relationship itself doesn't heal. And it is only possible through God. But you see, it's worth a try. Because Christ died for the love of us. Christ died that we might know the freedom from our sin, from our pain. Can we then in turn die to our anger and our malice and our spite and our desire for revenge for the love of others? Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Because it's the only way that love will truly thrive in our community. It's the only way that Christ will be able to heal the brokenness that surrounds us and pervades so deeply in so so many people's lives. We're forgiven sinners. May God grant all of us the grace to know his grace. Be so moved by the debt forgiven, that we will want to extend that to every other broken person that we encounter in our life.